0: This morning's scripture reading comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 2 and 6 through 7. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This is God's word. In the Old Testament, there were quite a few books that were written anonymously, meaning that we don't know who the author is. In the New Testament, that's actually more rare, but Hebrews is actually one of those books. We don't really know who actually wrote the book of Hebrews, but we do know who the book was intended to or intended for. First of all, it was written for Christians who were living in the city. And we know this because there are more references to the city in the book of Hebrews than anywhere else in the New Testament. So it was definitely, we can absolutely safely conclude that this book was intended for Christians living in the city. Now, city people, much like today... Uh, much like today, we live in a, a pluralistic society, and that means that we have lots of different values and different uh, ideologies and religions. Uh, so by nature, being a Christian in this type of society really means that uh, you're going to become marginalized to some degree. In some cases, it might actually bring you hostility. And, and so uh, the book of Hebrews, it was written to people who are suffering, People who are suffering immensely, either because they've been disfranchised uh, by society or they've been persecuted in their society. And, And so this book inevitably answers the question, how do you endure suffering as a Christian? Where is your relief? Where do you find the hope to live as a Christian in today's world? And today, as we go through Hebrews 11, it's a series of case studies on faith to get a better idea, to get an understanding of what faith really is. And you get to the case of Noah. Now, we said before that being a Christian, there has to be a rational component to this, that, that you have to be thinking about the gospel. It's, but it's more than thinking about the gospel. It's more than just a concept. It's more than just an idea. There's a power. There's a power in becoming a Christian. That's how you get poise. It's how you get courage. It's how you find rest. In a, in a society, in a world, in your circumstances that are tumultuous, where people are hostile towards you, violent against what you believe. Now, it starts with rational thought. It starts with thinking. We've said this over the years because the gospel is a story. It begins as a story. It's got content, so there has to be some rationale to your approach. But we've also said that this story has to become personal to you. This story has to become real to you. It's got to shape you. It's got to renew you. You have to trust in it. You have to trust it. You have to believe it. You have to live in it. Why are we saying this before we even start the sermon? We're saying this because there are people in this room right now who don't get the gospel, who really don't get the gospel because they see faith as separate from thinking. They see faith as separate from thought, rationale, ideas, and you're wrong because you have to think. Being a Christian is you have to think this through. But there are also people in the room right now, all you do is think. You're just relying on your thought process. You're relying on what you think you know, what you know, what you've read. And so uh, you don't want to trust. You don't want to give in. You don't want to surrender. You're afraid to submit. We're allergic to words like that. How do you have a faith that's going to give you poise? How do you have a faith that's going to give you courage How do you have a faith that's going to give you power even in the darkest days of your life? You have to think about it. It has to become real. You have to trust in it. You have to live in line with it. Noah teaches us, he does three things which brings power and courage and poise into his life. There are three things he does. There are the three things that we need to do. And we're going to go into it right now. First, Noah trembles. Second, He stands. Lastly, he hides. Noah trembles. He stands. He hides. First, Noah trembles. In verse 7, we read that Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark. He trembled. In other words, Christian faith is not just believing in God. We read this in verse 6, that he just exists. It's believing God. It's trusting his word. It's trusting his words. The word of God has weight. It's got substance. It's got impact. It shapes your life. Now, if you look at verse 6, the author says, if you want to come to God, you have to believe he exists. There has to be some rational, some point in your life where the gospel becomes rational to you. The gospel begins with an idea of God. But at some point, you have to believe God. You have to trust God. You have to trust his word. Noah was warned. He was warned by God, and boom, all of a sudden, he starts, in holy fear, it says, he built an ark. What does that mean? It means that you have to let go of what you see. You have to let go of what you see, what is visible to you in the world right now. You have to let go of what you see in the world today, your view of reality right now, and you have to let God shape what you actually see. You have to let God shape what is visible we're not yet seen what is invisible underneath all that is visible. When you encounter God, what happens is when you begin to have a relationship with God, uh, something starts to disturb you because you start to see things beneath reality, beneath what is apparent, beneath what is visible. God comes to Noah. You see this way back in the first book of the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 6, God comes to Noah and he says, I'm going to paraphrase this for you, but mainly what he's saying is this. Noah, a storm is coming. There's a storm coming and it's dark and it's powerful and it's deep and it's so dark and so powerful and so deep. It's going to wipe away all that you know. Everything that is alive, it's going to wipe everything away. Nothing's going to stand in this storm. And I want you to be ready. And so what does Noah do? For years, he just commits to building this great giant ship. Now, if you think about this, the sun is shining. It's not like there's any hint. There's no indication of rain. The sun is shining. There's not a cloud in the sky. People in the world remain violent. They're sinning. They're wicked. They're doing things without any fear of tomorrow. They're doing things without any consequence, any fear of consequence. Meanwhile, Noah, he's just building away. He's just building. He's just committed to building this ship. Why does this, the text says he does this in holy fear? He's trembling. He does this in holy fear. In other words, and we're going to unpack that word a little bit. But really, what he's saying is Noah was moved. He trembled in fear just at the word of God. God comes to him, speaks to him, and he trembles. God comes to him, he speaks to him, and he in holy fear just at the word of God. God says, Noah, this is going to happen, and it brings this holy reverence, this holy fear. Now, it doesn't mean that he's scared. If you want to unpack the phrase, the holy fear, it meant that God's word brought a gravity to his life. God said, this is going to happen. And that, the weight of those words settled into his heart so deeply, so greatly, it shaped him. He believed him. He believed him, every word of him. Noah's thinking, I believe these words are true. And if they are true, if these words are true, the world as we know it today is going to be wiped away. It's just going to blow up, and so I need to prepare. God says, I need to prepare. And the author is saying, this is faith. Noah saying, I'm not going to let your view of the world shape me. I'm not going to let society's view of the world shape me. God says, this is the world. I need you to see the world this way. I needed you to view the world this way. Everything that you see right now that is apparent, that is visible, everything that you're pursuing right now, everything that you view as reality is not real reality. There's a deeper reality that's going to come and subsume our reality today. And everything that is not holding to this reality, this greater foundation, is going to get wiped away. Noah, I need you to prepare for this. And now the sun is shining. The birds are chirping. People are making money. They're building, and they're in sin, and they're in wickedness. And he says, it's all going to end. God speaks. I'm thinking about this, and I trust it. Now, how does that apply to our world today? Here's, take the person, and he's incredibly bitter. Here's a person who's just bitter. He's just angry. He's just, he's just beside himself. He's struggling with his bitterness. He's struggling with his anger. Po- anywhere, anytime he opens it, poison is just spewing out constantly, everywhere. Now, when you go up to this person, you say, you're a very angry person. You're a very bitter person. What happens? They're just going to spew more poison at you. They're just going to spew poison at you. And it's because somebody has hurt them. Someone has hurt them so deeply. How do you become free? How do you become free of that? You want to be free? How do you become free of that? The author says that you can either be moved by things that you do not see, the things that are not seen, that's faith, or you can be moved by your present circumstances. And so what happens is you got to be moved by things that you do not see, that are unseen, that's faith, or you're going to be moved in a way by your present circumstances, and what happens is that's going to lead to anxiety and even greater bitterness and greater anger. You can look at your wounds or you can look at Jesus' wounds. That's faith. You can look at your dying, your suffering, or you can look at Jesus' suffering and how that applies in our lives. How the Spirit of God applies that in our lives. They're both going to shape you. Depending on which you rely on, they're going to shape you in different ways, wholly different ways. But one's going to be based on what is seen, and the other is going to be based on what is unseen. Think about Forgiveness, forgiveness, reconciliation, right? Um, forgiveness is an act of faith because when you're forgiving, what are you saying? You're saying, I, can, I have two options. I can dwell on my rights. I can dwell on other people's wrongs, right? That's visible. That's apparent. That's real to me. It's palpable to me. Or the cross is palpable, palpable to me. I can be moved by the cross. I wounded my Savior. I wounded Jesus Christ. And he has forgiven me to the point of great healing in my life. If I forgive, it's going to cost me. It's going to hurt me. But it's not going to cost me the way it costed Jesus Christ. And in fact, it's going to cost me, but it's going to heal me. It's going to save me. It's going to free me. Is that happening in your life? Is that taking place in your life, freedom? Are you moved by things that you do not see? By greater reality underneath the reality? Mo- Noah, he, he was moved by things he did not see. He heard God's word, he trusted it in the holy fear, and it moved him. Here's what we see we see the pressure of bills, we see the pressure of grades, exams, constant testing. That pressure, that pressure, it's like a vice that's constantly weighing on you. Here's what we see. We see neighbors, our next-door neighbors, they're rising. Our friends, the people we hang out with daily, they're rising. They're building. Criticism constantly in your life. There's constant criticism swirling in your life. Here's what you see. The need to get married, the need to have children, the need to make money, the need to constantly build, and we are listening and trembling in holy fear of these things. These are the things we trust in. And so you're working and you're slaving and you're ruled by anxiety and you're ruled by anger and disappointment and betrayal and bitterness. Then there's the word of God. God speaks to you. God speaks into your life. In Jesus Christ, the greatest debt has been paid. What debt then can ruin you? What bankruptcy can ruin you? Sin has bankrupted us morally and yet Jesus Christ paid the debt that we could not pay. What debt then can ruin you truly? Jesus Christ took on the greatest sickness, one that we could never recover from. What illness, what physical aging can ruin you? It will only remake you. It will only complete you. In Jesus Christ, a great mansion has been prepared. What other home must you pursue to make you who you are? In Jesus Christ, an ultimate reputation is secure for you. The validation of the God, the Father in heaven has been secured for you in Christ. What criticism will actually destroy you and ruin you then? These are the foundations. This is the foundation on which we stand. So you can dwell on your present circumstances and that's going to make you anxious and bitter or in holy fear, in trembling, you can rest in the love of Christ. What moves you? What moves you? What gets you? Because that which moves you rules you. That which moves you compels you. That's what you're going to trust. Is it fear? Is it the things that are at the source of your anxieties? Is it loss? Is it your figure? Is it your looks? Is it your need to just earn your parents' approval because all your life, that's what you've been striving for, working for, and that's at the root of these things? Is that what it is? Validation? Approval? Do you really think there's no flood coming? There's a storm coming. Do you not see it coming? You know, God gave us the Ten Commandments. God gives us the Ten Commandments. Uh, Do you really think there's no consequence in breaking any of them? Or are you starting to tremble in holy fear? Is there a holy fear that's developing? Listen, everyone trembles. It's only a matter of when you tremble. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean Noah trembled very, very early when the sun was still shining. But everyone else at some point, as the rain was coming down, began to tremble. Most of the people, all the people, right? Most of the people, it was when the water started rising above their heads. Everyone trembles at some point. It's just a matter of when, it's just a matter of chronology, timing. Everyone trembles. The gravity, the weight, the truthfulness will either make you tremble today or make you tremble tomorrow. Do you understand? You can tremble now about what God says about sex before marriage. You can tremble today about what God says about what money can do to you, what a love for money can do to you, or you can tremble later. You can tremble now about what anger and bitterness can do to you, or you can tremble later when those things are full-blown. Don't just believe in God that he exists. That's verse 6. Believe God. That's Noah, verse 7. Okay? So that's trembling. Noah trembled. Secondly, he stood. Noah stands. The text says, by faith, he condemned the world. At first, it looks like what that means is that Noah basically ran around, you know, in between hammering the, the nail, he ran around and said, there's judgment on all of you. He's yelling and scoffing at people. But, of course, if you read the passage, it's clearly not just that. That's not what Noah was doing. Because there's two aspects to the word condemn. Right, there's two aspects to the word condemn. By faith, by what he did, by what he believed, he condemned the world. That means that faith always does two things: it stands against something and stands for something. We got to look at this narratively. Here's Noah in the midst of the sunlight. In the midst of the shining sun, in the midst of the chirping birds, in the midst of the green grass, the animals are just thriving and people are just building and they're just living the way they want to live. They're violent, they're in sin, and here he is. He's just working and building this great ship. Why is he doing this? People are asking, why are you doing this? And he says, well, it's because the Lord says, look at the world. Look at the world. It's all going to decay. And a storm is going to come that's going to wipe away everything. And they say, come on, there's no God. There is no God. I don't see a God. What storm? The sky is blue. The sun is shining. Or, or they're saying, no way. I do not have a rational understanding or concept that God actually exists, and it's not real to me. It's not personal to me. I don't feel it. I don't see him. I don't have no relationship with him. Or they're saying, this makes no sense. The concept of God does not make sense to me. Come on, Noah. Here's what's real. You are poor while everybody else is building. Everyone else is building their lives. You're building a ship. Join us. Take part with us. I don't see it. But because of that tension, because of that tension, and everyone who's a believer, everyone who's a Christian has that tension, faith always stands against something and stands for something. What does faith stand against? It says, Noah condemned the world by faith. Think about this. If all things are relative, If everybody should be open to one another's ideas, all ideas, then you really can't condemn anything. There is no such thing as a right or a wrong. You can't condemn anything another person says or does. You can't do that. On what basis are you allowed to condemn anything in your life that you see? On what basis can you condemn oppression? On what basis can you condemn racism? On what basis can you condemn something like rape, rape, just rape? Murder! On what basis can you condemn that? Because if we're supposed to be open to one another's ideas, and only that, nothing is condemnable. Without faith, how can you say, this is evil, and this is good? On what basis can you say that? Without faith, you can't stand against anything. You can't justify anything. But if there is a God... If there is a God, because if there is, then you can condemn. You can stand against certain things. You say, well, I stand for justice. But then the thing is, on what basis can you stand for justice unless there is a God? If there is a God, if there is a God, then there is a judge. If there's no God, then there's no judge. There's nothing that is objective in the world. You can't condemn anything. Anything goes. That means Nietzsche was absolutely right. That means uh, that, the, that the early German philosophers, they were right, that there's nothing that is absolute. There's nothing that is objective. You can't even define what wrong really is. So faith in one true God, it gives us the basis to stand against. But there's also a second thing. Faith always stands for Something. You need to have some kind of foundation, some kind of ground, some kind of real reality on which you stand, and that's going to give you power. The Bible says when you become a Christian, you receive Jesus Christ for the gospel. You get a new heart. You get a new heart. Jesus Christ, in John chapter 3, he's talking to Nicodemus, and here's Nicodemus, a great scholar of the Bible, and he looks at Nicodemus, he says, you are Israel's teacher, Do you not understand these things? You must be born again, that's what he says, because Nicodemus doesn't understand what that means. Jesus Christ is really saying, when you become a Christian, the Spirit of God enters into your life, and it so changes you. The gospel gets applied to you in such a way that it changes us so greatly, so deeply. The gravity and the truth of God's word is so trustworthy to you and so shapes you that we call it being born again. It's like being born again. The Bible says God's law all of a sudden becomes written into your heart. The Holy Spirit enters in. The gospel becomes your foundation. The gospel becomes your ground. It's totally counter, countercultural. It's totally counterintuitive, for that matter. He says the law of God is written into your heart. The gospel becomes your ground, not your merit. You don't rely on your merit. You don't rely on your reasoning. You don't rely on your, even your sense of justice. When the Holy Spirit of God comes in, there's a union that takes place. And it means you're no longer just believing in God. Jesus Christ becomes so personal, so real, so shapes you. Who he is and what he's done has so shaped you. That's the only way you're going to have courage. That's the foundation. On the merit of Christ, you're standing. On the work of Jesus, you're standing. On the righteousness of Jesus, you're standing. You can't stand on your own merit. You can't stand on your own record because your record fluctuates. Come on, we all know that. Your record fluctuates even this morning. It fluctuates. Even now, it's fluctuating, you see. Your record fluctuates. You can't stand on that. That's an earthquake. If you're standing on something that's constantly fluctuating, that's an earthquake. When the gospel changes you and shapes you, you know. You stand for truth then. Then you have a basis to stand for truth. Then you have a basis to stand for justice. Then you have a basis to stand for integrity. Then you have courage. Then you have humility, you see. That's what's going to happen. You stand against the worldly values. You stand against uh, pursuing just wealth for its sake, sex, and power, and selfishness. And then you stand for things like humility. You stand for things like integrity. You stand for repentance, God's honor, even in the midst of suffering. Yes, there are people who say this makes absolutely no sense. It's so counterintuitive. This makes no sense. You're killing yourself. You're dying here to give like that, to love like that, to share like that, to forgive like that. But do you get it? There's a storm coming. There's a storm coming. And that's the faith that you need. That's going to stand against the worldly values and stand for God's glory, and God's honor. Noah condemned the world by faith, you see. He stood against the prevailing worldview, and he stood for God, his law, he is king, he is judge, he is faithful to save, and he is good. And so he stood for justice, and he stood with integrity, and he stood his ground, despite he didn't see any indication of a storm coming, he trusted God's word. So Noah trembles. In holy fear, he built the ark, Noah stood against and stood for. He condemned the world by faith. Lastly, Noah hid. We have to hide. Noah hid in the ark. Noah was told, he said, Noah, being warned of things yet unseen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. That, is, that means he hid in the ark. He built an ark to save his family. They hid in the ark. And he became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, we have to unpack this because it's very dense, uh, and, but it's key. It says, the text says he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. What's an heir? An heir, right, H-E-I-R, an heir is someone who got rich through somebody else's work. That's really what an heir is, right? Someone who inherits something, a richness. A greatness through somebody else in other words he's receiving something that he himself did nothing to earn he himself did nothing to work for now we have a lot of entrepreneurs here in this room either you're in the product market or you're you know you're in securities or in capital investments now think about this for you to get rich you needed to work hard you needed to slave away you needed to compete you needed to be quick on your feet but when you leave that wealth that you've made and you leave it for somebody else, maybe it's to a spouse, a loved one, a child, some family member, then what, the happen, what happens is they have your wealth. That same wealth that you have becomes theirs, and they did nothing to earn that. That's what it means to be an heir, right? <clears throat> now, if you think about this, religious people say, I've worked hard, I've done well. I've succeeded, I've helped people, I lived a moral life, a good life. Now, if you believe that that's how God loves you, if you believe that that's how God shows you favor, if you believe that that's how you're saved, then you're gonna be restless, you're gonna be anxious for the rest of your life. Christianity is so different from religion. Religion says, I need to obey, I need to work hard to be accepted. But Christianity is actually utterly different from religion, you know why? Because the gospel never points to your doing first. The gospel points to your receiving first. Faith in Christ gives you a righteousness that you inherit, not one that you earn. You become an heir. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying here. Noah became an heir. In other words, Noah received righteousness that he did not earn, not because he deserved it, but it came by faith. He trusted in God's word, in his goodness, and his faithfulness, and his promise. That the world in sin is going to blow away, but God by grace can save. That's what he trusted. That's the meaning of the ark, right? It's from God. He received it by grace from God. It just came to him. What that means is an heir receives because somebody else did the work. Somebody else worked for it. Somebody else earned it. Faith unites you in your relationship with God so that that righteousness comes to you. That's what it means. And it comes fully totally, fully, holy. And so a Christian is every bit as beautiful and loved and honored and acceptable as Jesus Christ is in God's sight. He earned it. He merited it. He worked. He deserved. And you receive. That's what Jesus earned, you see. How is that possible? For Noah, it was the ark. The text says that Noah built an ark to save his family and became an heir to the righteousness that comes by faith, that comes by faith, that he received by faith. Everyone's about to sink. Everyone's about to die. There's a flood coming. Friends, there's a storm coming. You see, there's a reckoning. There's a judgment that's coming. First of all, I've got to do a little bit of a a, a brief tangent here. Why Why is it important that we have a judge? You know why? Because if you don't have a judge, then evil wins. There's no purpose in being good. That's why. If you don't have a judge, if there is no judgment, then evil wins. If God even lets one sin go unaccounted for, evil wins. Do you see? Do you get that? If there's no judge, there's no hope for the world because remember, you can't even define what is evil. You can't, we can't leave it to ourselves to define what is right and wrong. You see? We just said that. We, asked, we, we established that. But if there is a judge, that means everyone's gonna sink. Everyone deserves to sink. Who's gonna survive? Because God's judgment is coming. Who's gonna survive? Now, as a, as a preacher in a postmodern society, it's not a very popular thing to say today, prepare for the judgment of God, right? It seems very churchy. It seems very old school churchy, but it's real. If there is a God, If there is a judge, then who can survive? Who will survive? Because we're all broken. We're all sinful. Nobody here is righteous. Not one person, right? We're all sinful. We're all broken. We're all evil. That's going to tell you, but I'm going to tell you, there is one person who can survive it's Jesus Christ. There is one person. That's why the New Testament, in the New Testament, Jesus walks on water, he doesn't drown. That's why when the storm comes, Jesus calms the storm, you see. That's why when, when, they're, when they've run out of wine, Jesus takes water and he changes it. Jesus rules. Jesus is king. Jesus doesn't sing. So it's why the storm comes and the disciples are crying out. Jesus speaks and he just calms the storm. This is why Christianity shows us that there's a way of salvation from evil. There's a way of being saved from the storm, from the judgment, and it's not. Religion says the way to do it is to imitate Christ. That's religion. The gospel says it's to hide in Christ. Hide in Christ. Jesus Christ is the true ark of God, you see. He is the ark that the Lord built. Throw yourself in the mercy of the ark that is Jesus and you will be saved from the wrath of God that is like a flood of judgment that's going to drown us because that's what we deserve you see you know what that means noah's goodness it's not noah's goodness that saved him it's not noah it's not noah's works that saved him it's not noah's morals that saved him it was the ark he trusted to the degree that despite his circumstances that were present and apparent to him, despite the reality that was present before him, he trusted the Lord. It was, the storm was very real, very palpable. It created an urgency. He had to build it then. It took him a long... Guys, it's not like it took him a couple weeks to build the ark. It took him a long time to build this ship, you see. Decades, years and years and years to build this ship. And he remained faithful because he trusted think about the ark the waves and the storm and the wrath It's just crashing against this wood just crashing against the wood and noah and his family are safe in the ark they're dry the waves of judgment are crashing the waters of judgment are crashing the storm of judgment is crashing you see The judgment is crashing against the wood. In fact, you know the word, word, in Hebrew, in Genesis, here, when you talk about the narrative of Noah's ark, the word, wood, that is used there, in particular, that was used to build the ark, is the word, it is the Hebrew word, etz. That word is always used in reference to the judgment of God. The wood represented the judgment. Noah hid himself behind the wood of God's judgment. So as the waves are crashing against it, he was saved, you see. That word translated in the New Testament is cross. Is cross. What do you hide behind? Jesus Christ bore the wood of God's judgment. Who ultimately bore the wood? Who ultimately braved the ultimate judgment? It was Jesus Christ. He's the ark. The waves of God's wrath are crashing against him on the wood. That meant we get to be saved. We are safe. On the cross, you see a, a bigger storm. The sky grows dark. The earth, there was an earthquake. Literally, the foundation shook. There was an earthquake. The rocks were splitting. And here's Jesus Christ tethered to this wood of Judgment. And then he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what he's saying is, now I'm facing the ultimate storm of God's wrath. God's wrath is now pouring out on me like waves of judgment, and I'm drowning, and he died. The punishment that we deserved, he received. And the safety and the rescue that he deserved, we receive. You see, you just receive it. You can't do anything to earn it. You know what that means? Because of the gospel, God does not love us in spite of his justice. It's not like he sees Jesus on the cross and he says, there, now it's done and I will no longer have to be just. You get to just come in. That's not what happens. That's not what's going on. You see, God loves us because of his justice. You're on trial. And there, the judgment the judgment of all the sins that you've committed are pouring out, are about to pour out on you. And the judge is about to hit the gavel and sentence you. But then Jesus Christ, your advocate, enters in, and he says, Father, you are judge because I paid the penalty for his sins, because I paid the penalty for her sins, because his life is hidden in me, because her life is hidden in me. Father, I'm not asking you to save them on the basis of his merit. I'm not asking you to save them on the basis of her merit. I'm not asking you to save them in spite of your justice. I'm, I'm not asking you to save them because oh, you're just this loving, faithful person, okay? First of all, if God is truly loving, he has to be just or else either, uh, otherwise evil will win. Rather, what Jesus is saying, Father, I'm not asking you to save this person based on his merit or in spite of your justice. I'm asking you to save them because you are just. And I paid the price. It's been paid in full. And because I paid that price in full, because the ways of your judgment fell on me on the cross, and this person get, then gets to receive freedom. Will you free them because you are just? You are so just, you will not let make this person pay twice for the sins that he's committed. I've already paid. I've already paid. And I've paid it abundantly. And I paid it in full. God says to Noah, you know, that's the meaning of the rainbow. In Genesis, a rainbow arch appears. And God there makes a promise to Noah. And really what he says is, he says, uh, I'm never going to destroy the earth again this way. Although the heart of every human being is evil, that rainbow is for you. It's a promise of God's faithfulness. Jesus Christ got the storm so you can have the peace. You can have the rainbow. You understand? As I wrap up, you know what that means. Um, some of you, you know, I, I, especially these days, I go through periods where you're just drowning. You're just drowning. And all you hear in life are accusations, right? You go through periods like that where you're just, you just feel condemned, don't you? You go through that. Now, some of it's because there's just real, real guilt in your life. Others, it's just the enemy. is just coming at you. And you're just being accused. You say, this is who you are, you see? And sometimes it's very palpable, it's very real. It's very physical, right? And you're just drowning, because you feel the judgment, and the waters are rising, you feel that. It's very palpable. Noah says this. You know what Noah says? Romans chapter eight verse one. He didn't write it. The Apostle Paul wrote it, but here's what he says: "There is now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in." Christ Jesus. I'm going to to kind of paraphrase it in a way that makes sense for us here according to this text. There There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in, who are hidden in, who are hiding behind, who are hiding themselves in Christ. You get that? You're inside. You're safe. That's, by the way, all the disciples of Jesus, they abandoned him before he died. They all betrayed him before he died peter paul the best of them they all betrayed him every every disciple had some period where they betrayed jesus at some point that's how any disciple really begins their lives it's through their brokenness through their sin through their betrayal and then jesus's resurrection you know jesus christ appears in front of paul the apostle paul before he was the apostle paul the resurrected christ to make him new And that's what happens. When that happens, the same storm, the same troubles that can crush, just utterly crush other people actually remade the disciples. It made them great. They lived a big life as a result, you see. It's gonna make you, when you're suffering and when you're just being crushed by the weight of your sin or crushed by the weight of just accusations or crushed by the weight, you know what's gonna happen? It's gonna make you more loving. It's gonna make you softer. It's gonna make you humbler if the gospel's working in your life if the Spirit's working in your life, it's going to make you humbler. It's going to make you compassionate. Those things are the litmus test. Are you being softened in the weight of your present circumstances? Are you trusting more? Are you more compassionate? It's not just about, well, now I have a great sense of justice. Yeah, of course, but it's not your justice, right? It's not your judgment, right? There's a storm coming, all right. But does that make you more compassionate? does that make you more loving? Does it make you trust God more? Does it make you trust and love Jesus more? Do you believe? Do you have a a holy fear, a trembling? If you do, then you will be able to stand against the prevailing worldviews of what it means to rise because the waters are rising. And it will enable you to stand for the things that are good, the things that are of God, that are of Scripture. Will you trust his word? And then if you stand, it's because you've been able to hide in the ark, the real ark, the true ark, the greater ark that is Jesus. So that as the waters rise, you rise. You see that? Do you see that? And that's going to make you free. Free from the waves of wrath that would utterly drown you otherwise. Will you plunge yourself? Will you drown yourself in the love of God, in the faithfulness of God in Jesus Christ. And then you'll experience the promise, the rainbow, and you're free. Will you do that? Will you hide yourselves? My life is hid with Christ on high, famous Him. Will you hide yourself in that? Let's pray.